Acts 15, starting with verse 1. And certain men came down from Judah and taught the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things to them that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and the elders came together, considering this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as, has, just as he did to us. And make no distinction between, them, between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become and after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. <clears throat> Excuse me. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those, who are, trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled and from from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. And it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also called Bersabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with these words, unsettling your souls, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you, with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by the word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for a, long, for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. 
You may be seated. As we begin our study this morning, I'm going to ask if you would to join in a word of prayer and ask of the Lord this morning that we might hear and be doers of this word that he's given to us. Let's pray. Father, from the beginning, you've shown yourself to your people. You are the creator. You are the everlasting God. And by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. And so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. You have worked through your people, revealing yourself, identifying yourself, ultimately declaring yourself through Jesus through the testimony of his life and death and subsequent resurrection and ascension, you continue to reveal yourself. You poured down your promised Holy Spirit, you tabernacled within us, empowering us to carry out the mission to the end of the earth. Father, this morning we ask that you would use us, use us here, use us outside these walls. I pray, Father, for your glory, strengthen our hearts for gospel work in the days ahead. Help us see people as you would see them and grant us grace as we speak your words of life to those that you bring across our paths. And in the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. When you were born, and I realize that those of you here today probably can't remember the time when you were itty-bitty. You might remember the toddler stage, parts of the toddler stage, maybe, depending upon how old you are. But as a little one, you, you, you know, and if you've had little ones, if you've had siblings that are now little ones, you know that there, there's very little recognition of what's going on outside of them. It's... it's they don't know of anything happening outside of them. All, all that you know is that, that you know, when they come into the world, there's this strange new place that they now are operating in. I still remember our firstborn. And I remember his new arrival. And I remember him, his head was on a swivel. And he was checking everything out when he arrived in this new world. Eyes open. When that new one comes forth, there is a clinging and a desire to want to need to be close to mom for quite a while after that little one's born. As a little one, you primarily thought, about yourself. And you'd voice a cry or two or three when a diaper needed changing, when you were hungry, or when you were just ready to lay down. At that time, all you knew, everything revolved around your wants, everything revolved around your desires, your needs. And you know, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about this something that we seem to have in common and share today with our diaper-staged infancy, (laughs) is this interest in self. Consumed in self, we we become short-sighted, we lose this God's eye perspective on life. Being born into the world, there's this tendency to look past what God has already been doing. There's a tendency to see only that which affects you. This is characteristic, I believe, in many ways of the independent spirit in which we live. We've lost much of our connection with history. Those who have gone before us. We've opted to place history on the shelf. But history, as we see it, is truly his story, isn't it? It's truly that. 
It's his story. His, it's about God. It's about his providence through the ages. His working among his people. His movement through the hearts of men from one generation to the next. It seems that God's movement in history is oftentimes for much bigger purposes, intended for much larger audience than what one might think. When you open the Bible and you begin to read it, you see that God has been at work, listen, from before the foundations of the world. That's how long God's been at work. That's a pretty amazing thing to think about for a moment. He's been working. Your life, then, is but a blip in the midst of God's eternal plan and purpose. Oh, yes, it's an important blip, for sure. But nevertheless, that's what it is. Fits on that perspective, that timeline of what God is doing. He's been at work, and he desires to use your life as a part of his plan and purpose. And that plan and purpose we see in the Bible is carried out through his church, Ephesians chapter 3. The book of Acts and the events that have happened thus far through the first 14 chapters, these are events in the life of the church orchestrated by God, movements accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit, drawing attention to the name of Jesus. There are many movements that have occurred up to chapter 15. And the church in this chapter, in chapter 15, is confronted with yet another form of conflict. There's a lot of discussion in the book of Acts about conflict, because there's a lot of conflict that occurs. Conflict, when it intersects with the gospel. You can almost bet wherever the gospel is proclaimed, conflict is right there. It's somewhere right there in the vicinity. Because the world hates to hear the truth of the gospel. Hates Christ. And so the ones who are going to proclaim Christ, it's also going to hate those folks. There's conflict, there's gospel. It's there. It's all throughout, especially this book of Acts. And really, we think about this conflict here in Acts 15. It's a different kind of conflict. No one necessarily is getting stoned here. Nobody's picking up rocks and ready to stone Paul, as we saw in the last chapter. This is more of an internal conflict, isn't it? The church is disputing and debating. We might even put the word arguing. I I tend to believe this was a heated discussion. What does it really mean to be saved? By what means does one get saved? Well, the, the first few verses really bring to light the conflict. What's the issue? The text immediately draws us into the issue. Here it is, right here, verse 1. Certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. (laughs) Now we read that first verse, and if we didn't have any verse 2, you know, if we just read that, in isolation. You'd read that and you'd go, wow, well, that's, that's, just, that's not going to go over very well. <laughs> and yes, that's, that's what happens. It doesn't go over very well. And these men from Judea, they came down to express this concern. They were teaching about salvation. Quite a can of worms to open up. We see circumcision, this issue of circumcision. goes all the way back. We can look back to Genesis chapter 17. And in Genesis chapter 17, verse 10, remember God is making his covenant there with Abraham. And essentially saying every male child shall be circumcised in the flesh. Right? Genesis 17, verse 10. What's interesting there is the circumcision was designated there for the male and was reading in the New Testament and reading some of the things that Paul wrote in Galatians. And by the way, Galatians is a good read alongside what we're reading right now because um, 
Galatians was, was more than likely penned at the conclusion of the first missionary journey. Okay? Right after he'd made this trip through Pamphylia and Galatia in that area, he comes back to Antioch and more, more than likely wrote the letter when he came back to Antioch. So it's very instructive, I think, in many ways. In Galatians 3, 26 to 28, Paul says, You are all sons of God through, through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither, listen to what he says, neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So what is it to be saved? Does being saved require being circumcised? Is circumcision only for men? Seems to be that's what was advocated. We go back to Genesis. That was the instruction. If so, if it's only for men, circumcision, does this mean that salvation then is reserved for men? What's this say about women? Huh. Boy, this issue of circumcision could bring to light some very important issues. So they're saying, unless you're circumcised, you can't be saved. Think about that for just a moment. What happened to whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? Or what about, I understand these are New Testament concept verses that they didn't have. However, what they did have available to them was still the truth at the time. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Or the scriptures that talk about being saved by grace. Even back in Genesis 15. It's very clear in Genesis 15 verse 6 when, when Abraham says when he believed, God credited to him as righteous. He believed. He had faith. In that Ephesians passage, the reason that's pointed out for being saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. And really, when you look at, at that book of, of Galatians, and you see that the reason put forth in Galatians 5, he says, stand fast, in, in verse 1, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You've become estranged from Christ. You, have, you who have attempted to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Listen to verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. And if you skip over a few verses into chapter 6... Verse 12, he says, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. You see, there were some who were wanting to talk about circumcision, and they were pushing this and, and projecting this upon other people. That's what he says in verse 13. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 15, for in Christ Jesus, very similar to 5 verse 6, in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. A new creation. We'll see here in just a moment. God's the one who knows the heart. A new creation is what matters. And the issue that's being submitted and put forth right up front is unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So does salvation come by faith alone, as we just read there in Galatians? Is circumcision the prerequisite to one's salvation? Now, I, 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 I'm doubting, I'm, I'm putting this out for you this morning. I'm doubting that there are many here who would advocate that, yeah, you've got to be circumcised in order for you to be saved. I realize I'm probably preaching to a group this morning that's probably not buying into this verse 1 argument. However, as I read the text and I think about the application, 
the question comes, is there anything else that you might be inclined to put in the place of circumcision? If you were to fill the blank in with, unless you become circumcised, if we were to put something else in there for today, what would that be? Have, have, we, have we come up with things today that are substitutes for circumcision? Things that we would hold to and say that you've got to do this in order to be saved. Oh, now it all of a sudden applies, doesn't it? See, it's one thing to understand and, and, and come to terms with what the text says. It's also another thing to be able to see, how does this apply? Circumcision, I don't know, uh, what is that? I mean, I'm not involved in that. I don't have anything to do. That doesn't relate to me. Maybe those are some of your thoughts. How about baptism? Is that an issue today? Water baptism. Are you saved apart from water baptism? Does your salvation hinge on Getting wet? How about works? Oh, and this one. We could have a, a wonderful time talking about this one because we just waded through the book of James, didn't we? And on one hand, someone could say, well, you've got to have your works. Your works in order to be saved. James says, you know, that faith without works is dead. Absolutely. But keep in mind, James and Paul, they're not contradicting one another. They're writing to different audiences, pointing out some different things. And I believe James, as he's pointing out, our works, that being saved by faith, we ought to then and have a delight and desire to do these works. This is going to be part of our faith. It's going to come out if we are in Christ. Our heart is going to be inclined to these good works. But are you saved by the works? Or are you saved by grace? What about church affiliation or denomination? Are you saved because you are a Baptist, a Methodist, a Lutheran? We can just go through the whole list. Are you saved because of that? Are you saved because you're a part of the right denomination? I'm putting it out there because some people believe that today. If you're not in that denomination, you can't be saved. What about creeds and confessions? Hey, I'm putting these out here. These are real issues that, that are getting talked about today. Are you saved only if you adhere to a particular creed or confession? By, by, by fact that some churches require you, require, key word, require to, to, to sign on the dotted line to be a member, are they also saying, whether they mean to say it or not, are they also saying that you are not really saved unless you embrace Christ and our confession of faith? Circumcision may not be the issue today. But church, there are a lot of other issues that we put right here in its place. Lots of other things besides circumcision that the church holds on to as necessities for salvation. So what was the response here? Get a quick response. Verse 2, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them. (laughs) I love the way that's worded. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So this was the question. They're going to go to Jerusalem. There was some form of dispute that took place in Antioch about the teaching that came from Judea. Judea. And so you might be wondering, why did these guys even come down? What What was the point? What prompted them to come to Antioch? Well, remember at the end of chapter 14, they just come back, Paul and Barnabas, from their missionary journey. And the text says, the last verse of 14, says they stayed there a long time with the disciples. I'm imagining that their time there in Antioch, the word had trickled down to Jerusalem like it typically always did. Word got back to Jerusalem. And that, hey, Paul and Barnabas are back, and here's what happened. Here's what God did. And so these certain men then take it upon themselves, and we see that they take it upon themselves, because here in just a moment, we're going to see in this letter that's penned, hey, we didn't, we didn't say that was... That was, that's not what we're talking about. So these were certain men who just, it sounds like on their own accord, we're going to go down and we're going to make sure we set the record straight with these people in Antioch. So they show up. No small dissension and dispute. So it's considered, verse 3, best to, uh, to send them to Jerusalem. 
Then they're once again sent on their way by the church. And they pass through Phoenicia and Samaria. And I love this about Paul and Barnabas in particular when they're on their journeys. You know, it's not that they take full advantage of the travel. They don't just go from point A to point B. But along the way, they're taking opportunity to share about the Lord. Phoenicia, Samaria, what are they telling them? They're telling them the good things God's done with them throughout the region that they've been traveling. As they make their way down to Jerusalem. So they go. The question is, is circumcision according to the custom of Moses, is it necessary for salvation? Verse 4, they arrive. They're received by the church, the apostles, the elders. And they give them a little report, similar to probably what the, probably a Reader's Digest version. Here in verse 4 of what they gave to the church at Antioch when they came back home. They were welcomed. And then verse 5, we immediately get kind of the opening arguments, if you will. The statements are made here in verse 5. It says that some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and, so now we got an and, <laughs> and to command them to keep the law of Moses. All right, so that's, I, I picture this as, you know, the, the people who, who really were putting forth the complaint, which were certain men who came down. There's some other folks here the Pharisees who believed, which is interesting. That's an interesting statement. The Pharisees who believed. I, you know, I got a question here. What did they believe? What really did they believe? If they're submitting this and putting this forward, you know, the Pharisees, we know from the scripture, um, unlike the Sadducees, they, they did believe in the resurrection. What did they really believe? Here's the question. What did they believe about Jesus? The Pharisees who believed are talking about it being necessary to circumcise. And it's also necessary, by the way, to keep the whole law. Just to keep the law. Seems like they're adding something to Jesus here, church. <laughs> and you know, it got me thinking, how many others... Are, are, are teaching things that are, that are false, all the while proclaiming their belief in Jesus. It amazes me how often we see, maybe you hear it on a radio or you, you catch it on a news, or they're interviewing a pastor. A pastor. And they're asking this pastor questions, and this pastor talks very little, if any, about Jesus, at least the Jesus that I know in this word. Oh, but he's a Christian. We've we got to be careful. <laughs> we, we've got to be careful. These, these Pharisees, uh, it's interesting. They believed. They believed in Jesus, but they're wanting now to attach something else to Jesus for salvation, to be saved. Here's what it means to be saved. In other words, they're saying, we could say it's not in the text, but the implication here is that the cross of Jesus Christ was not sufficient. There's something else. How many Christians are out there adding and deleting from the Word of God? These opening statements, they, they no doubt, they produce quite a stir among the ones gathered. And it says there in verse 7, when there had been much dispute, they say these opening words, and then it just kind of goes. There's comments, people talking, a lot of disputing about this. When there had been much dispute, Peter, at that point, rises up to speak. Verse 7. He's the first of three. There are going to be three rebuttals, if you will. Three witnesses that Luke records here, moved by the Holy Spirit. We're going to see here Peter is going to speak in verses 7 through 11. We're going to see reference made to Paul and Barnabas speaking in verse 12. And then you see James, who, who is seen as the leader in the church at the time. He's verse 13 through 21, and he'll conclude the discussions, at least those that are recorded for us here in the scripture. But Peter, he says right out of the gate, so God, he men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. He's pointing back to a time 
a time back, if you just flip the pages of your Bible, a few to the left in Acts chapter 10, you might recall Peter in the home of Cornelius. He's in Cornelius' home and he's, he, he arrives in Cornelius' home because the Lord has uh, shown him a vision, a picture, as well as Cornelius himself. And they come together and they're in the home of Cornelius. And verse 42, he's talking in the home of Acts 10. He commanded us to preach to the people, to testify that it was he who was ordained by God to be judge and living of the dead. To him, all the prophets witnessed that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. And then verse 44 says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Okay, so, so right here in, in Acts 15, Peter speaks up. And he's pointing back to a time a good while ago. God, God chose among us. And remember, after this all happened, he was giving a report and accounting of this. Because the people in Jerusalem heard what happened. Hey, Peter, what's going on here? And Peter gives them in, in Acts chapter 11, gives that first part of chapter 11. It's a recounting of what God did, how God orchestrated all of it. God's the one who set them apart. God's the one who chose to send them that the word might be put forth and that they might believe. Now, verse 8. So God who knows the heart. You know, it's interesting here that that is put forth because as I was, I was thinking about, again, keeping in mind some of this circumcision, which is part of the equation in this question that they're debating um, in, in Romans chapter 2. At the end of Romans chapter 2, Paul, Paul says some things here that I think are helpful tied into what Peter says about God knowing the heart. In verse 28 of chapter 2 in Romans, Paul says, For he, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. It's interesting. Romans 2, God knows the heart. Peter says, God, God knows the heart. This God who knows the heart, he acknowledged them, verse 8, by giving them the Holy Spirit. Just as he did to us. Reference back again to Acts 10. Holy Spirit came down. Holy Spirit was given in the same manner. That Acts 10, Holy Spirit coming down was very similar to Acts 2, wasn't it? I mean, in many ways, it was a similar experience. After what happened, their prophecy, I mean, a lot of the same things happened. So now what's Peter say? He ties in eight with nine and makes no distinction. God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving the Holy Spirit and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Purifying their hearts by faith. First Peter talks about the end of chapter one about purifying our hearts through the enduring word. It's the means by which we're purified. It's through the word, right? We've talked about this, the word of truth and how we receive the word. We come to faith by hearing the word, the word of God. Here in the text, Peter is saying, no distinction. God's doing this the same way for them as he's done it for us. But I love the way he words verse 10 and 11. He says, why do you test God? Why do you test God? This is a test. Peter sees what's going on here. They're testing God. Why? They're putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. This would have hurt. He's saying, hey, our fathers haven't been able to do this. They haven't been able to keep the law. We haven't been able to keep the law. And you're going to put this yoke on them and require them to keep this law? You're testing God. Because if God, and here we need to remember, at Acts 15, God has already done this work. He's already saved them. 
And so now here, we're, we're a few chapters forward now, and these people are still talking about it's necessary that you be circumcised to be saved, that you keep the law to be saved. Peter says in verse 11, his concluding words here, these are wonderful words, summarizing his, his voice. We believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. Oh, listen to how he says this. By the way, that ties in perfectly with what's mentioned in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Saved by grace through faith, that not of our own, lest we boast, which was what was going on here. These people like to boast and like to point out and and project that others also get circumcised. (laughs) Could chalk it up. But here he also says, he says, notice he says, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Notice there's a gracious priority in the words of Peter here. He doesn't say they need to be saved like us. But he says, through God's grace, we shall be saved like them. I, I love those words. Very gracious words. Keep in mind, there are a lot of people here in this, in this discussion and, and some people that, that do not agree with each other. And I believe, I love this about Peter and, and James and Paul and Barnabas. I think they're aware of that as they speak. They're even being mindful of how they speak. We should be saved in the same manner as they. Well, Paul and Barnabas speak up in verse 12. There was silence here. All the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. Seems to be a good segue here from what Peter has just spoken. Paul and Barnabas now speak about what God has done through them in their recent trip. Miracles and wonders. Can you think of any miracles and wonders that happened? Can you think of any lives that were changed on their journey? As we've covered it in Acts 13 and 14. Going to the island of Paphos, Cyprus and on Paphos. Remember the encounter with Elymas, the sorcerer? And he gets blinded and, and, and Sergius Paulus, the government official, comes to saving faith. And they move on and they go up to Antioch and he preaches in the synagogue. And then there were lots of, of conflict, lots of opposition but we see that many of the Gentiles believed, didn't they? In fact, the Bible says that the Gentiles were glad and they glorified the word of the Lord. How did that happen? God's at work. God's at work through his word. And they move on into Iconium. Same thing. We see the testimony that many Greeks believed. They believed. This word that was put forth. They move on to Lystra. There's a, hip, a, a, a crippled man that was healed. He's sitting down and he gets healed. Well, that causes some problems in and of itself. Um, But nevertheless, we see that through that, there's an opportunity to speak. There's an opportunity. There's an open door for them to speak. Did it cost them something? You bet it did. There were other people who came on the scene and stoned Paul, left him for dead. But we see all of these things that happen. And I'm sure here in Acts 15, verse 12, Paul and Barnabas are declaring the many miracles, the wonders. God worked through them among the Gentiles. It's like, look, look, we want you to see, here's what God's doing. James, then verse 13, after they had become silent, James answers. And again, I think at this point when James starts to speak, perhaps the church in Jerusalem are probably going... One of ours now is going to be speaking. He's, he's, he's our leader. He's Jew. You know, it, out of these three, I mean, I, James would have been the one probably that the, that the listeners there would have been going, okay, here's one of our, this, he's speaking from our perspective. He's going to speak our. And listen to what James says. Immediately. Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon, notice he uses Simon and not, Peter, Simon, the Jewish name. Just, just, just little things to think about as he's delivering, as he's talking. Simon has declared how God at the... By the way, he's also picking up on what Simon has said. So, you know, Simon says. I, I, some of you are thinking that he said Simon says. Okay, let's get it out. I said Simon says. All right. 
But Simon has just talked about these wonderful things. God chose him to go speak to the Gentiles and that they were going to believe. What does James do? He's picking up on what has just been spoken. He doesn't use Paul. Isn't that interesting? And I got to thinking, you know, one of the reasons why he probably didn't use Paul as a, hey, you know, in other words, hey, listen, Paul just said, because Paul was probably the target of the opposition. And to use, think about it. If we're having a discussion, if we're having a no small dissension debate, I'm going to do my best to present something through my words that's going to be appealing, that you'll be able to hear me, hear me speak. And I would imagine that if James had put out, Paul said, may not have settled too well. They might have lost, he might have lost his audience right at the beginning. He says, hey, here's what Simon, look what he says here. And he points to that. He's declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. You can underline that if you, if you do any underlining writing. Take out of them a people for his name. That is so important here. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. So listen, here's what James is doing. James is saying, not only what Simon spoke of is true. God called him. God sent him to the Gentiles to speak the gospel that they might believe. That's true. All that you heard, and while he doesn't say it, you heard Paul and Barnabas as well. And you heard what God did through them in miracles and wonders. And now I want to tell you that that's not all. Here's some other proof. All that's been spoken also lines up with the scriptures. <laughs> this is also in the Bible. And he says, let me tell you, it's written. Words of the prophets. They also agree. After this, I'll return and we'll rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I'll rebuild its ruins. I'll set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things, known to God from eternity are all his works. So he actually uses this passage here from Amos, chapter 9, Amos the prophet. And he's pointing the people in that meeting to the scripture. And he's pointing them out to see that God has been at work. He's been at work. Not only through what you heard Simon and Paul and Barnabas say. But he's also at work. All these things that have been spoken, we see testimony of it through what the prophets say. James is pointing those people back to the word of God. Oh, how instructive is that? Whenever we have conflict, whenever we have dissension, whenever we have dispute, how quick we are, it seems, to be able to give opinion, 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 opinion. I always tell folks, my opinion doesn't matter a whole lot. It really doesn't. I only want to give what I know to be true from the word. Point people to the word. See, this, con this, this conflict that happened long ago in Jerusalem, we're, we're far removed from it, no doubt about it. But I think even some principles within the, the, the council itself are important for us for every day. How do we handle conflict? How do we deal with conflict? How do we speak to people through conflict? We see this here. James is a pony, pointing them to the scriptures. It's the scriptures. The scriptures say that this is so. That the rest of mankind, verse 17, may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, known to God from eternity. Did you hear that? From eternity are all his works. Well, then those last two verses, he kind of wraps this up. And he says, I, I judge, therefore, that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. See, the issue at, the, at hand is not um, Gentiles coming to know Jesus. That's already happened. Chapters prior. The issue here, the question, remember, is, is it necessary that one be circumcised? Is it necessary that one keep the law in order to be saved? 
So here's what James says after all the discussion, after all the talk. Let's not trouble them. But, verse 20, let's write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality or fornication, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. It seems there are four things here that they're going to put together. He's saying, hey, let's, let's not trouble them any more than this. Abstain from things polluted by idols. Now, we think about Jew, Jews, and we think that many of these are, are attached directly and connected directly to them, things that they would hold to very dearly. And again, I want you to think about this in, in light of the graciousness that's put forward here. I think of Romans 14 and 15 when I think about these things put forth with abstaining. About making sure you're not causing a brother to stumble. I believe that really that's at the heart in many ways of what's being put forth here. These four things. These are not magic bullets. These are not, if you just do these four things, and then everything's going to be wonderful and great. No, but these four things were going to be helpful. They were going to be edifying. And we see that these things from blood and things strangled. Leviticus 17 talks about the blood and the life source of the blood and how, how they viewed the blood and, and, and things of that nature and things strangled. But sexual immorality, isn't it interesting that that's in here? You know, there were... We see this, this was not an issue just in, here among the, writing this letter here in just a moment to the Gentile churches. But, you know, we're going to see this pop up again in, in Corinthians. Paul dresses immorality. Corinth is known as Sin City, isn't it? And there was all kinds of immorality. And this was, this was one of the things they were to abstain from. Idolatry made the list. So these four things are put together, and they put these four things together, and verse 21 is kind of a, a connector to 20. Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him. So these are things that people are going to be hearing in the synagogues. It would be important that they're not practicing these things. It would be important that they're not sexually immoral. Can we have unity on these things? You know, what I find interesting is that they put this letter together, which is in verses 23 through 29. By the way, the response to the test, I think it's important. Having this dissension, this argument, look at the, there's one verse, 22. It pleased the apostles, elders, with the whole church to send men, chosen men, of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. So Judas and Silas are going to go back with Paul and Barnabas. And I love that because, you know, how easy would it be for Paul and Barnabas just to go back to Antioch and report, hey, we went, we checked it out, and here's what they said. No, they're taking some from Jerusalem with them. And, and the, the voice of Jerusalem, if you will, is coming with them. And it's going to go to Antioch. And it's going to put a stamp of approval on what was decided upon in this meeting. Here's what came out of the meeting. Okay? So it pleased the group. It pleased the group. Praise the Lord, it pleased the group. Praise the Lord for men like Simon Peter, Paul and Barnabas, and James. Who knew how to navigate through a difficult conflict. So verse 23, they write the letter. Here's the letter. The apostles, elders, the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles. Notice the, who, it's, who it's written to. It's written to the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we've heard that some who went out from us, that's that, 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 those men in verse 1, some, some folks have gone out from us. It says, we've heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with our words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. So they're bringing clarity on the situation. Hey, you all heard these guys teaching. And we want to make it very clear, that was not, that was not at all what we believe. That's not at all what we hold to. 
It seemed good to us. Being assembled with one accord, that's so important. All the people who were involved in this were together and they came to a resolution. They were one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when Paul and Barnabas stood up in verse 12 and when they gave the report of what God had done in their lives, there's something that must have been spoken there because the letter, I, I just, I wonder in the letter, these are men, Paul and Barnabas, they deem these men to be men who risk their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe they listened to what Paul and Barnabas had to say. I believe they listened to what Simon Peter had to say and I believe they listened to what James had to say. They come together with one accord. Verse 27. We've therefore sent Judas and Silas who will also report the same things by word of mouth. There it is. Judas and Silas are going to go along with Paul and Barnabas and they're going to report the same things. We're going to say the same things about this issue, about this question. Verse 1, 2. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Oh, isn't that a great phrase? See, this wasn't just a good idea they had. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. And it seemed good to us. To lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Notice he says, if you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well. doesn't say you're not going to be saved. Did, did you notice that? That's so important. Because they could have blown the whole thing had they said, if you don't keep these four things, you're not really saved. <laughs> we'd, have to, we'd have gone back to the drawing board again. Had another discussion. Had another council at that point. That's not what they say. Do you notice what else isn't in the letter? I find this interesting. And I don't know why it was deemed not appropriate to put in the letter. What's the basis of the discussion? What's the question arise out of? Circumcision. Keeping the law. Now, no doubt there's some things that are tied in here with keeping the law. But I would have thought in the letter there would have been maybe at least a line or two that addressed circumcision. Since that was really the issue that was coming out early. Perhaps as they're having their, their meeting and their discussion in Jerusalem, perhaps the the discussion specific to circumcision died down a bit. Maybe there were some other issues pertaining just to keeping the law and the weight of keeping the law that was put forth by Peter. At any rate, if you do these, if you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. I love how that's worded. Farewell. And so then verses 30 to 35 is the, is the delivery. They're going to take it now. They were sent off. They came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. What, what's the response going to be from Antioch? Verse 31. When they read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Isn't that good to see? They rejoiced over its encouragement. Because I would imagine that there were some in Antioch who had heard and they're wondering whether this teaching from Judea is going to, just going to keep happening. Are they going to keep doing this? And when they come back with the report and they come back with, with Barsabbas and, and, and um, and Silas, and they come from Jerusalem, and they're encouraging. And it says, in fact, that those guys are there themselves. They're prophets. In verse 32, they're exhorting. They're strengthening the brethren with many words. And after they'd stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. It seemed good to Silas to remain there. That's kind of interesting that it seemed good to Silas to remain there because Silas is going to be a, a, a key player here in the next few verses. Silas is going to be going with Paul on this next missionary journey once we get into chapter 16. And so Paul and Barnabas remain in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others. Can you imagine this time, at this, at this particular point in time, after all this that's occurred, after going through the, the situation in Jerusalem, going through the, 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 the discussions and the debates and the arguments, all of that's happened, and they've come to a conclusion, they've come to one accord. 
And they come back and they deliver it to Antioch. And I imagine there was a great amount of joy. It says they were encouraged by what they heard. And I imagine over a period of time there was a great deal of teaching and preaching and praise and worship celebrating what God is doing. As you get to the end of 35, I'd like to maybe circle back to where things began at the, at the first, and that was our mindset of, of how we oftentimes think and, and so locked into thinking about ourselves. I read this, and I, I, was, I, I was amazed at how in this particular council, in this particular chapter, this, in many ways, this chapter is a pivotal chapter in all of, all of the Scripture. I mean, think about it for just a moment. There are other councils that happened after this, right? You, you've probably heard of some of the councils and some of the things that they established years later after this in some of these councils. But what, what would have happened? How, how would things have turned out if circumcision would have won the day? I think it had been a lot different. <laughs> I think things would have gone a lot differently. Had this been part of it. What a, what a tragedy it would have been. But I also think, and I would like to just point you as, as we conclude verse 14. The words of James as he's pointing back to Simon. I declared it, how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. Listen, if, if we are so locked in to ourself, if we are so locked in to doing our thing, and we don't see what God is doing, how God has been working, and how God will yet work, according to the scripture, we're going to miss a very important part of what God is doing God is about this very thing. He is about taking out of them a people for his name. A people for his name is what he's after. And there are many things today that are getting in the way and have gotten in the way of that very purpose of God. God is calling out a people for his name. Let's be clear on that. Let's be clear on that. We are called to extend the praises of him. We're called, we're saved, we're brought out of darkness into light that we might declare his praise. We might declare his glory as a believer in Jesus Christ. Let's not get bogged down. Let's not get in that slough of despond, waiting around in stuff that's periphery to who we are in Christ Jesus. These issues that get brought up and get brought to our attention, you might hear them, you might read about them. You might see some things. Don't get sidetracked. Don't get derailed by what is not the truth, by what is not the gospel. Keep your eyes upon Jesus. And understand that in the middle of this, God is about, and get on what God, get on, get on board what God is doing Here, what is he doing? How is he working? How is he moving? Let's see how he has been doing it. And let's welcome what he's doing and get on board with what he's doing. I think many of us, maybe we we, we fail to remember that God's working. He's been working. We got our own agendas. Church, we we, we gotta make sure that our agendas, his agenda. He's taking out a people for his name to bring about his glory, his honor, his purpose here in these days that we have left. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who calls people out for your name. 
that it's not for any other purpose but for your glory, for your honor. Oh, Father, thank you for bringing this to our attention this morning. That in the midst of heated discussion, in the midst of arguments, in the midst of the questions about keeping the law and what it means to be saved. Father, may we not get sidetracked. May we not lose our focus on what the most important things are. May we not lose sight of what you're doing. And Father, when we see people come to saving faith, may we rejoice. May we not be critical. May we not immediately start pointing out opinions about why so-and-so is this. And, and we start to finger point. Father, I pray that we would understand what your word says about how you draw men unto yourself. May we rejoice when one sinner repents. Father, thank you for your good news. We thank you for how you orchestrated all of these events in Acts 15. We praise your name, Lord, because today you're still orchestrating events. You're still orchestrating our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that we would walk in the strength and power of your Spirit. That we would show to others and shine the light to others what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What it means to be saved. I pray our lives would be a reflection of, of the grace that's been given to us. That we would extend grace to others in our actions, in our words. Father, our thoughts and our motives, Lord, would be pure as we give them and surrender them to you. Thank you for your good word this morning. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.